In Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13, it says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things to Christ who gives me strength. This morning, we're going to continue our series, Consumed, and I'm really enjoying this series. Paul's letter to the church at Philippi guides us, okay? It helps guide us on our quest for God's presence. That is the goal during this series. And we talked about it before. We started out right here. We were in bondage. We wanted to break free from our bondage. We want to move from where we are in bondage in Egypt, if you will, to the promised land. And we started making our way to the promised land and we got far enough and we overcame a lot of our habits and hang-ups and, and hurts. And, and, and then we said, okay, how do we hold on to those things? And we said, okay, let's look at the book of Daniel because Daniel never compromises. Daniel knows how to hold on to the gains, okay? He will not compromise. And now we're along this way and we're right at the edge of the promised land. So how do we reach the, the promised land, if you will? And the promised land truly is being in the presence of God. So here we are. Paul is talking to the Philippian church and he's helping us. He's helping us on our quest to achieve God's presence. Paul makes two clear points in this text. That will help us on our journey, okay? Two clear, two clear points that we're going to talk about this morning that are going to help us along on our spiritual journey to really living in day to day, moment by moment, the presence of God. First, he wants the Philippians to know, he wants the church of Philippi to know that he is very, very thankful for the gift that they have sent for a, to allow him to continue to do the ministry at the level he's doing it. So he's saying, thank you so much for your gift. Really, really appreciate that. Uh, love you to death. And then he says, second, the second thing he wants them to know, that he has not been waiting around with bated breath for them to send the gift. Understand that. So he's very thankful and he thanks them for sending the gift. But then he also says, you know, I haven't been, I haven't been waiting around here with bated breath for, for you to send it. He's grateful for the gift, but he also has a gift of wisdom that he wants to give them. And this gift of wisdom that he wants to give them is to say, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. So thank you. But I have something for you as well. Whether you sent it or not, whether I have a little or a lot, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. And I, when I first read that, I was absolutely floored. I thought to myself, what? He has learned the secret of being content. Isn't that what we're all talking about in our lives? What is it to have peace and joy and contentment in this life? Can you imagine if I was content? I mean, the peace that you would have all the time. You talk about being happy. I want to be happy. You want to be happy? Learn to be content. And you'll be happy all the time. So Paul says, I learned the secret of being content. He gives them, he gives them this gift. He wants them, he wants to make it absolutely clear that their gift, 
His ability to rest in the presence of God and to be content is not based upon what they can give him. My ability, your ability to be able to live in the presence of God moment by moment, day by day, and to find true contentment should not be based on what someone else or what the world can give to us. I find that to be absolutely fascinating. And so he said, I'm going to give you this gift. And I, I find that contentment, if you think about it, in this world is probably one of the most difficult things for people to grasp and to own and to live in, in contentment. I think it's easier, honestly, think about this. I think it's easier to find oil in your backyard than it is for you to find contentment. Right? It is in this world. It'd be easier for you to go out back and start digging and find a, a, a whole bunch of gold and a big strip of gold in your backyard or finding oil in your backyard, striking it rich by just digging your backyard than it is to find the richness of contentment. To say, I have learned the secret. If someone stood up and say, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, you'd be like, can I hang out with you? Right? I want to learn the secret. I want to learn what that secret is all about. See, one of the reasons that we are, are not content is because our, in many ways our culture is based on us being discontent. Think about that. Think about our economy. Our, our economy, okay, is based on much, I'll say much of our economy, okay? Much of the economy in the United States of America is based on us being discontent so that they can sell us something that they say will make us more content, right? Will make you content. If you have this, you have this now, you poor slob. But if you have this, you'll be, you'll be, you'll be more content. And just when you get it, right, and you start to feel satisfied, they come out with the new version, the upgraded version, the better version, the cooler version, the most amazing version. And you look at your version and go, man, alive. Mine doesn't talk to me like that. I mean, my, you know, what's a... And you feel like somehow you've been ripped off. You've been taken advantage of. I was thinking of how you kind of illustrate it. It's like someone walking up to you and saying, hey, what, what can your watch do? My watch can... Can tell time. <laughs> well, my watch can tell me how many calories I burn walking over to talk to you about how lame you are and your watch, which is outdated. You know what I mean? It's like watches can do everything now. Before you were happy if your watch kept the time, right? Now you have to have a watch. And I'm not criticizing because all you're all sitting there like putting your shirts down. Now i got to watch this. <laughs> I walked in here, bought 20, burned 20 calories, right? Church, you should get more. See, if you really want to burn calories and stuff, you should get more animated in worship. You know what I'm saying? Dance around a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Raise your hands and then look at your watch. Oh, wow, I burned more calories. Jen will think it's her worship style moving. And you're, <laughs> you're just trying to burn more calories. Yee-hoo! Just to copy Kenny. Kenny, where are you? Raise your hand back there, Kenny. Kenny? He's like always dancing around back there. I embarrassed him now. <laughs> the lottery, honestly, the lottery exists, right? Because we're discontent. That's why it exists. Because people are discontent. Oh, if I could hit the lottery, 
Oh, well, I'll tell you what. And then if you win the lottery, if you end up winning the lottery, your life is ruined. You know why it's ruined? Because you thought by winning the lottery, you'd have more money and then you'd be more content. And you're not more content. As a matter of fact, it ruins most people's lives. If you if you do any studies on that. But it's all based on this. It's not being content. Our sin nature is driven, driven not to be satisfied with what we have and our culture plays on it so well. I mean, our, our sin nature is like, I, I want more. It's more. It's I'm not, you know, I'm not satisfied. I don't have enough and I'm being ripped off. And, and then the culture just plays right along. And, and if you're never satisfied, then you're unable to truly enjoy life fully. And that keeps you, it, it kind of makes you feel like when you're, when you're living your life, it makes you feel like you're being ripped off because you're never truly satisfied. And why do they have it and I don't? And when you're, you're covet, that's why the Bible says don't covet and all those kinds of things. Because you look at someone else, you may be, you may be completely content in something until you see someone else has something better or more. And then all of a sudden what you had, you're no longer contented by. And the culture knows it. I remember a car commercial, this is about 10 years ago, and it was fascinating. It was this really cool car, the Spider or something, and it spun and it slid in front of the, you know, the TV and it said, it, it, it's not more than you need, it's just more than you're used to, right? Just more than you, this is what, if you had this, You'd have it all. You'd be happy. You'd be content. You'd, you'd have everything you actually need. See, here's the thing. Contentment comes from a state of confidence and trust in God's love and God's provision that creates an internal peace and joy. I trust God. I have confidence in God that he's going to give me what I need. And that brings this internal, internal, not external, because that's what they play on, the external, an internal peace and an internal joy. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to I want to talk and I want to share with you some just some basic truths that will help us enjoy a state of contentment and lead us into the presence of God, because that's what we want to be. Right. Wouldn't that be it if we could be content and we could live our lives consistently in the presence of God? So let me share a couple of basic basic truths here. Number one. According to Paul, contentment needs to be learned. He says, I have learned. I have learned the secret. I have learned to be content. Let's be honest. Have you ever met anyone in your life who was naturally content? Maybe you say, well, this person's more content than I am, or this person is. But have you ever met someone in your life who is naturally content? Our sinful nature is in conflict with the concept of contentment. Like my nature, my sinful nature is in constant conflict with the whole idea of contentment. It is natural, it is natural for me to be unhappy when someone else achieves something. Right. That's not natural for me to be angry when someone else begins to prosper. It's it's natural for us to compare ourselves to other people. It's natural for us to want something that we don't have. That's what's natural. 
He has it. I don't. I want it. That's that comes natural. It is natural for us to blame other people for our situation, our misfortune, our condition. It's natural for us to do that. I don't have it. I should have it. Honestly, our political system is now based on blaming other people for your problems. I get a contingent of people around me, and the way I do that is I say, poor you, or poor you, or poor you, it's all their fault. Well, it may be some of their fault based upon whatever criteria you're using, but the reality is not all someone's fault. It takes responsibility off me. But that's what it's, that's, that's how, that's how we do things. And they feed, they basically feed on our sinful nature. You know, politicians know theology better than, than some other people do, than Christians do sometimes. They understand how people work and they play on that. Have you ever noticed that you don't have to teach your child, if you're a parent, have you ever realized you don't have to teach your child to say, mine or no? Or to cry when a child, another child has the toy that they want to play with. Have you ever, what parents ever sat around and, okay, say it, mine, come on, mine, 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 mine. Say it like that, right? It comes natural. No comes natural. Anger over the fact that that child doesn't have something that child wants, it just comes naturally. You don't have to, you don't have to teach them, you don't have to teach them that at all. Sinfulness is natural. Contentment is not. It's something that we need to learn. Now, here's the good news, okay? Here's the good news. If Paul can learn the secret of being content, then so can we. Paul is not, Paul is not some, some superhero, okay? He's not some supernatural superhero who has some kind of information that we don't have and that we can't, we can't attain and all this. kind. No, not at all. Not at all. If Paul, with his, Paul is a man with strengths and weaknesses. He is a person with strengths and weaknesses. And if Paul can learn the secret to being content, then you and I can learn the secret to being content. I'm sure that Paul did not wake up one morning, right? And just run outside and say, everyone, I'm content. And I will remain this way for the rest of my life. I just woke up. How'd you become content? I don't know. I woke up. I got a feeling. Oh, contentment. How did that work? I don't know. I just, that's not what he did. That's not what happened. He said, I've learned the secret. he, He needed to learn that. And I'm sure that took a I'm sure that took a long period of time. You know what I mean? Going through all the things he went through, all the struggles he faced, the shipwrecks and the beatings and being put in jail. And I mean, over a period of time, he learned, regardless of I'm in prison. What is my responsibility? What does God call me to do? Preach the gospel. Put me in prison. Prison. Can I still preach the gospel? Oh, yes. Not only that, but the guy next to me is. He's kind of bound to me. He has to listen to me. (laughs) Paul's like, ooh, captive audience. Hey, you, let me tell you about Jesus. He was content regardless of the circumstances he found himself in. He was content, but he learned that over time. He disciplined himself over time. The point is that if we want to be content, then we need to discipline ourselves to achieve it. We need to think about it. When we're going through a difficult time, we need to try to be in the presence of God and say, God, what are you trying to teach me during this time? 
How can I grow and become more like you? And then we see even the difficulties that we face in life as something that God can use to help me become more like him. And that will bring about some of that contentedness. See, contentment, okay, we're talking about how do we live in the presence of God? If you don't have the book yet, Practicing His Presence, we, don't, we ran out of copies. We sold a lot of copies out here. Um, but go online and try to get the book, Practicing His Presence, okay? Brother Lawrence and Frank Laubach. Um, but try to get that book. But contentment, the key, okay, the key to being in the presence of God, one of the key principles is that we should be content. If we can be content, it is so much easier to live moment by moment in the presence of God. So that's extremely important. Contentment is a key to experiencing for us, you and I, to experience the presence of God. To achieve contentment, We need to see ourselves, okay, from a different perspective. So if you're you're saying, how do I achieve contentment? You need to see yourself from a different perspective. You see life from a different perspective. You need to you need to to renew your mind. You need to have that renewing of the mind. You need to change your thought process and you need to change the attitude of your heart. We're rebellious sometimes. Things don't go, don't, don't go our way. And instead of seeking the presence of God, instead of learning what it means to be content in those circumstances, we become rebellious and angry about the fact that we're in the circumstances in the first place. But what we need to do is renew our mind. We need to, to change our way of thinking. We need to change the attitude of our hearts. In 1668, Brother Lawrence wrote this. Sometimes I see myself as a stone before the carver, ready to be made a statue. I present myself to God, desiring him to form his own perfect image in my soul and to make me entirely like himself. We need to change our way of thinking. And honestly, what I'm telling you is extremely difficult. Not, I'm not, you know, oh, no problem. Just, just go and pray about it. Extremely difficult. But here's the great thing. It can be achieved regardless of the circumstances we find ourselves in. It can be achieved. That should give us hope. That should give us hope. This, this what we're describing during this series, can be achieved. Can you imagine being content in any and every situation, being well-fed or hungry, having plenty or in want? Can you imagine? It can be done. That leads to our second truth. Contentment is not about our position or our possessions. Contentment is not based on our possessions or our position. In other words, like I said, contentment, okay? Contentment cannot be found in our situation. It cannot be found just in our... If we, if we have the right situation, then we're going to be content. It, it cannot be found in what we have or the situation we find ourselves in. That's not the only... So that's, it's so important for us to understand. Contentment cannot just be found in if we have the right circumstances or, or if I have the right situation or if I have the right stuff... Paul says, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I have learned the secret of being content. He didn't say I've learned the secret of being content. As long as I have enough resources to give me exactly what I want, when I want it, I am content. 
as long as I never find myself in a different circum- difficult circumstance in my life, then I can be, that's not what he said. I've learned a secret of being content in any and every situation, whether I have a lot or a little. I've learned the secret of being content. His contentment was not determined by the circumstances of his life. I remember hearing a story about a king who, this guy, this king was just not content with his life. He was, just, he, was so, he was so discontent that he's the king, but he couldn't enjoy all the things that his kingdom had to offer because he was so discontent. He was so discontent, he, he got frustrated. He would, he would lay awake at, at night thinking about how discontent he was, and he couldn't enjoy it, and so he lost sleep, and it was always on his mind. And so he, he gathered up all the wise men in his kingdom, and he said, I need you guys to figure out how I can become content. And so the oldest and the wisest of his men said to him, Your Majesty, what you need to do is you need to look all over the entire kingdom and you need to find a man who is content. And then here's what you do. You wear his shirt all day and all night. The king's like, bam, that's a great idea. He says, what a wise man. And so he gathers up all the servants and he says to the servants, I want you to go some to the east and some to the west and some to the north and some to the south. I want you to find me a contented man and I want you to bring me his shirt. Find him, go find him. Sends the servants out and the servants all go out and the days turn into weeks, the weeks turn into months and finally the servants come back. The king is elated. They have come back. He was all fired up and he says to them, did you find a man in my kingdom who is content? And they said, yes, we have. And the king says, where is his shirt? And the servants reply, your majesty, he didn't have one. He didn't have one. You're not going to find contentment You're not going to find peace. You're not going to find joy, okay, in wearing the contented man's shirt. Because the contented man's content whether he has a shirt or does not have a shirt. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, whether having a shirt or not having a shirt. I've learned the secret of being content. Contentment is not about what we have. It's about how we view. Okay, hear me. It's about how we view our lives and how we view God's purpose for our lives. It's about how we view our life, how we are viewing our lives and our purpose. Again, Brother Lawrence wrote this. As often as possible, we should recall that our only business in this life is to please God. And that all else besides the Lord is folly and vanity. Jeff Greer exists not for, this is important, and you're going to read in the book, if you have the book with, this is what part of it's what it's talking about, okay? I don't exist, God does not exist to serve me. And to fulfill all my needs, whims, wants, and needs in this world. I exist to serve him. He, he, he didn't create me, okay? 
He didn't create me so that I basically, he becomes my slave and does what I want him to do. I am his slave and I do what he wants me to do. That's a different thought process. I exist to serve God. Hear me on this. You say, well, of course. No, hear me on this. God does not exist to serve me. I exist to serve him. If my mindset, if I can get that mindset down and understand that, then I will become more content in my life. A wrong theology will destroy your life as a Christian. A wrong thought process, how you view God, how you see God, how you see your life, how you see your purpose, the meaning of life. If you don't understand that, then you will get it all mixed up and jumbled around. And when things don't happen the way you want them to happen, you will be angry and bitter and frustrated. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 11, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have good food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. We start out with nothing and we end with nothing. We start out and we end with nothing. Not only does our stuff not give us all the things that we think it's going to give us. But Paul is saying to Timothy, not only does it does it not do that, but it also can cause you trouble. Paul says to Timothy, people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. The more, the more that we have, the greater the temptation to lure us out of the presence of God. Hear me out, okay? The more sometimes that we have, if that becomes to engross us, the more temptation, the more that we have, the greater the temptation to pull us from the presence of God because we start depending on those things rather than on God. And we want more of those things. We want, we want more and more and more and more. And then we become more willing to compromise our principles in order to get what we think is going to make us happy. We're willing to compromise the word of God. We're willing to compromise who we are because we want more of what we think is going to bring us happiness. And ultimately, our desires begin to dictate our values instead of our values dictating our desires. And it's a trap. It's a slippery slope. Ask Solomon. Think about this for a second. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. People would come from all over the place, okay, just to hear Solomon open his mouth, just to hear Solomon talk. Solomon could could solve your problem, okay, and answer your question, solve your problem before you even finish telling him what your problem was. But Solomon, with all of that, ended up with a life in shambles. The wisest man, think about this, the wisest man who ever lived, his life ended up in shambles. 
When you think you have it all, I've got it all, I have it all. When you think you have it all, what do you need? The answer, I'll give you the answer, more. When you think it, you have it all, right? What do you need? The answer is more and more and more and more. And the wisest man who ever lived fell into the oldest trap in the world. He's so wise, but he couldn't see it. He couldn't see what was happening. You know what I found in my life as a pastor? And this is just a little side note here. I have found that people's lives could be in shambles, right? Could be absolutely miserable. I mean, their, their relationships are all torn to pieces. But if someone comes and asks them a question about their relationship, that person whose life is in shambles can give them all kinds of wise feedback. Well, you need to say this. You need to act this way. You need to be more patient. You just need to be more this. You need more open and sharing and everything. And the person saying that is in the same situation, cannot apply that to their own lives. They can apply it to you. And I used to think hypocrites, but they're not hypocrites. They just don't know how to self-reflect. They, don't, they, don't, they can't see it in, of themselves. They can see it in other people and they can help other people, but they can't apply those same principles. Solomon, when you came to him, he would solve your problem. Oh, you can't be, you want too much in your life right now. He would walk you all the way through it, but he fell into the oldest trap in the world. Paul had nothing, and he experienced the very presence of God. Paul had nothing, let me say that again, and Paul enjoyed the very presence of God. Solomon had everything, and he was spiritually bankrupt. Fascinating. It is also difficult to be content when your life doesn't go according to what you have planned, right? That's another... It is so difficult to be content when life doesn't go according to plan. When you don't get, when I don't get, when Jeff doesn't get what he thinks he deserves. And I, I, I work so hard and I deserve this and I deserve that. I don't understand this. And the, the problem with that is that life seldom turns out. You can back me on this, right? Everybody over seven. All right. Life seldom turns out the way you planned, right? You know why? Because we live in a fallen world and we're surrounded by other people who want life to go according to the way that they have planned, which is not the life that you have planned. But you want life to go the way that you have planned and you don't really care about the life they have planned. Therein lies the problem. I'm thinking about me. They're thinking about them. We live in a fallen world, so you, you're not getting what you, you don't get what you, what you deserve, and life's not going according to plan, and it's not going to go according to plan. This is why Paul says, I learned the secret of being content, whether living in plenty, which I had planned, or living in want, which I maybe didn't have planned. But regardless of which ro- way the road goes, whichever, I, oh, I took a left instead of a right, but you know what, I'm content, because whatever comes down this road... God's going to help me. God's going to give me strength. God's going to help me grow through this experience. See, the answer to disappointment, listen, the answer to disappointment and the answer to frustration is presence. The answer to disappointment and the answer to bitterness and the answer to frustration and the answer to all of those things 
is presence. It's putting our hope in Jesus Christ. It's resting in the presence of God. It is not in the things of this world. This world, no matter what you achieve, cannot give you what I'm describing this morning. In Romans 5, 5, it says, And hope does not disappoint us. Our hope in Jesus Christ, seeking the presence of God, does not disappoint us because the love of God has poured, God has poured out with, I'm sorry, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. We have the Holy Spirit of God living us. We have the resurrection power of Jesus Christ living us. We have a hope that is beyond what this world could ever even consider offering us. Paul, listen, Paul had the Holy Spirit and he was completely content. That's all he had. Paul had the Holy Spirit and he was content. Solomon had a thousand women. A thousand. A thousand women. Solomon was the richest guy ever known up until that point. He had more than everyone else before him. He had pleasure beyond pleasure. Paul had the Holy Spirit and he was completely content. Solomon had all the pleasure you can possibly imagine, had all the money you can possibly imagine, and he was miserable. And Solomon was the wisest man, right, wherever he lived. So he had all that going for him and he was completely miserable. Solomon said this in Ecclesiastes 5, 10, and 10 through 12. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? The sleep of the laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much. But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. See, Paul knew it was like to be content whether he was living with little or whether he was living with much. And if he was living with little and he, had, he didn't have it, he was still, he still had Christ. He still had that hope. You see, Paul was content in the penthouse or in the outhouse. He was content either way. I sleep in the penthouse, content. I sleep in the outhouse, I'm content. Either way. It, did, it, did, it didn't matter. When he had little, listen, when he had little, he appreciated the little that he had. When he had abundance, he realized the abundance was there to, to help others in their need and to glorify God. That's why he was given abundance. You know, it, it really seems that contentment begins to grow. It really begins to grow in our lives when we come to understand that our greatest, our greatest treasure, our greatest treasure is to dwell in the presence of God. That is the greatest, the greatest treasure that we have in our lives. We seek after all kinds of other treasures, and it brings us what? But when we, can, when we realize that our greatest treasure is Jesus Christ, when we realize our greatest treasure is actually being in the presence of God, it changes everything. Discontentment comes from, 
from a feeling that we have been somehow deprived. I want you to walk me through this process here for a second. Somehow we have been deprived. We have been ripped off. We're not getting our due. All these kinds of things. But when we compare ourselves to the one that we say we follow, when we compare ourselves to the one that we desire to be like, I mean, our goal, what is the goal of a Christian? To be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. It is the goal of Jeff to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That is my ultimate, ultimate goal. Then what right, when I compare myself with Christ, what right do I have to be discontent? That's what we need to ask ourselves. What right do I have personally to be discontent? Because let me think about this. My example, the one who I claim to follow, the one who I say personally that my goal in life is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Okay, that's my example. My example died serving others, died for others, naked, hanging on a cross. There's my example. That's my example. I was with family. We're in family this week and we were talking about, you know, all the different people around the country and the people you you admire and everything. And but ultimately, who who's our hero? Who's the one we all want to be like? Who's the one we follow? We would lay down our lives. And the example that he said, he ultimately died on a cross for others naked. So what right does Jeff Greer have to be discontent because I'm deprived somehow of something? We are Christians. We are followers, followers of Jesus Christ. At some point, if you say you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you prayed a prayer asking Christ to come into your life. Why? So that you could have a personal, intimate relationship with God the Father. That is why you prayed the prayer. Our contentment should be anchored in that relationship and that relationship alone. I know, again, I'm saying things that are really, really difficult, but that is the truth. My, my contentment should be anchored in my relationship, the grace of God, the grace. I was talking to someone a couple of months ago about the grace of God, the mercy and the grace of God. And the person didn't know Christ very well at that point. And and we were going through this study and and just tears come rolling down their face. Because they understood the grace of God. They understood the mercy of God. They understood the forgiveness of God. And sometimes, I'm just being honest, sometimes we've been in the church for so long, we sing about grace. Yeah, it's nice, nice song about grace. And we sing about God's love, His unconditional love. Ah, that's not bad, that's really neat, I'm glad to know that. And we sing about His mercy, and we sing about His forgiveness, and we, and we talk about it, and we preach about it, and we read about it, and we go to Bible studies about it. But when's the last time you actually sat down and really considered the mercy and love and grace of God in your life and what he did for you and that brought you emotionally to near tears to think about what Jesus Christ did for you in bringing into a relationship with a living God so that you have a hope for the future and that you can live in contentment and peace and joy on this earth and live eternity in eternity with him. See, I start thinking about these things and I start confessing my sin before God, how dare I, how dare, how dare I walk around like I'm so ticked off because I'm deprived and ripped off and I didn't get my way and I can't understand and all these kinds of things. I'm talking about myself. How dare I act that way? I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. He saved me. Like he saved, I don't know about you, 
I can't, I don't know all of your stories, but when he saved me, you think, well, he saved you. You get to go to heaven. No, 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 no. Yes, that's true. I get to go to heaven. Okay. He saved me. Okay. You understand what I'm saying? There's no way, there's no way I'm standing up here this morning talking to you if he didn't save me. He saved me spiritually, but he saved my life. He saved my life. How dare I act like somehow the other kid has my toy? And I know we all do it, but we, gotta, we really need to take a step back and say, Lord, help us to realize who we are and who we are in relationship to you. Help us to get our mind back in the right place. Help us to readjust our attitudes toward our relationship with you. Where, where have we gotten off? Paul goes on to say, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. I believe Paul is saying that I can face and I can know joy in any circumstance because of the strength that I have in Jesus Christ. How can I do this? How can I do what I'm, how can we do what what I just described to you, what I ask you to do, what I'm asking myself to do through the strength that we have in Jesus Christ? Do you know what the secret is to being content It's understanding that nothing compares, absolutely nothing compares with what I have in Jesus Christ and the privilege that I have of dwelling in the presence of God. That is contentment. It's that nothing, nothing, nothing this world can offer me compares with the hope and the joy that I have in my relationship with Jesus Christ. And nothing can compare with me being and living in the presence of God the Father. And even when we have nothing, listen, even when I have nothing and you have nothing, we are rich in his mercy. We are rich in his love. We are rich in his grace. We are rich in his, in his joy. We, we are complete. We are, we are rich in his compassion. We are rich. We have things. We, we have so much. We are rich in so many things. But you know what? We don't consider ourselves sometimes rich because we're, we stop thinking about who we are in relationship to God and what Jesus Christ has done for us. God's, God oversees the events in our lives and uses them to deepen our relationship with him. He oversees the events in our lives and he deepens and develops our relationship with him. And he also deepens and develops our character. He oversees all that happens and he works through all that happens All things, all things, good, bad, and indifferent, work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Paul believed, Paul truly believed that God was shaping him spiritually during the hard times. And that God was using him to bless others during the good times. 
He was shaping him when, regardless of the circumstances, Paul believed when he was going through hard times, God was shaping him spiritually. When he was going through the good times, God was using him to bless others. Listen, if we're going to learn to dwell in the presence of God, we need to realize that contentment is predicated on living in the moment. Living in the moment, okay? We, sometimes we're getting lost here. We need to live in the moment. Discontentment comes when we lose sight of the now. When we lose sight of the now. And we focus too much on the past and what should have been and too much on the future, what we expect to happen. We're not in the now. We're not in the moment. It's too much in the past and what I didn't get and too much of the future, what I expect from the future. And if I don't get it, I'm not going to be happy. Contentment comes when we find peace in the present. We need to find joy in every single day, in every, se- in every day, in every moment. We need to consume ourselves with him and not consume ourselves listen and not consume ourselves with what might have been or what should have been or what should be in the future we need to content ourselves in him completely and we also need to understand that god gives us material things as tools hear me again god gives all of us material things as tools and not as an end in themselves they're just tools. Tools to do what? Tool, seriously, and I'm not, this is manipulation. I honestly, before God, I'm saying this to you. Tools to make sure we have a freezer in Nigeria so that families of people will no longer be hungry or have their children die of some ridiculous waterborne disease or, or not have their shots or not be able to go to school. God allows us. He is saying, I give you, what I give you is a tool. It is not an end in itself. When that happens, okay, when that ultimately happens, we will begin to enjoy life's simple moments. And you, you, will, you will find that in good times or in bad, pleasure or in pain, that you and I can be content. Regardless of our circumstances, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time that we can spend together. Father, thank you for the opportunity that you give to us to to help us to, to just reflect on our lives. And God, thank you for the reality that we can truly find contentment. Will it be easy? No. But what is the end result that we, if we, your people, can find true contentment, true peace, true joy in you? What a life. What a life that would be. And God, I pray over every single person in this room that we would, to the best of our ability, discipline ourselves to try to achieve that which you offer to us. An abundant life in Jesus Christ. A hope that is beyond anything this world can offer. That's what we want, Lord God. Pour it out over this place this morning. Allow us day by day to to talk with one another as iron sharpens iron that we would teach one another, encourage one another, support one another in order to get to this place because it is a place of absolute, beyond description, Lord, absolute joy. We thank you, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week.